0: Gateway Greening is a community development nonprofit in St. Louis that uses urban agriculture and community gardening as tools for building relationships between community members in a lot of different facets.
1: Welcome to Infinite Earth Radio. and Vernice Miller-Travis. Welcome back to Infinite Earth
2: Radio, where we talk with thought leaders and change agents who are transforming the future by building smarter, more sustainable, and more equitable communities. This is your host, Mike Hancox, and this is the latest in a series of podcasts recorded at the 2017 New Partners for Smart Growth Conference in St. Louis, Missouri. Our topic today is urban agriculture, infrastructure, and impact. My guest today is Rachel Deffenbaugh, Urban Farm Manager of Gateway Greening. Rachel, welcome.
0: Hi, how are you?
2: I'm doing great. So let's just start off with a little bit about you. How did you end up getting involved in urban agriculture? Why why is this topic important to you personally?
0: Yeah, when I was in college, I majored in environmental studies, and I did a study abroad program in Thailand that focused a lot on sustainable development, which incorporates a lot of agriculture. So while I was over there, I I got very immersed in the agricultural landscape of Thailand and loved it, came back home, realized Most of my knowledge, my my family is a long agricultural background, but very industrialized farming. That's not what I'm interested in. I came back, realized I knew nothing about sustainable ag in America and dove headfirst into it and have been there ever since.
2: (laughs) Fantastic. So tell us, uh, what is Gateway Greening?
0: Gateway Greening is a community development nonprofit in St. Louis that uses urban agriculture and community gardening as tools for building relationships between community members in a lot of different facets.
2: So what's the difference between community gardening and urban agriculture?
0: Great question. There's not a, a like Webster's Dictionary difference definition difference, but for me, community gardening has a very localized effect. So it'll be a garden in a neighborhood or at a church that is really focused on whatever community is connected to that garden, which is really significant and impactful for that community. Urban agriculture has a much bigger focus. Maybe it's a whole city that is impacted by the programming in the produce that is grown there or potentially even a whole region so it's really kind of the scale of what you're working with and I come from a nonprofit background so for me it's it's the people and stuff for other people it might be the produce the the vegetables like either way it's it's the scale that you're working with
2: How do we look at urban agriculture in terms of it being an infrastructure component or a system within a community
0: That's a great question so urban agriculture is it can be easily integrated into any sort of community with intention behind it. So it might look like, in in the case of where I work, it might look like a big, we have a two and a half acre urban farm in downtown St. Louis, and we operate a lot of different programs that impact people struggling with homelessness. We bring in volunteers from all different walks of life, all different communities. We have a teen employment program. So that's a very, like, centralized, kind of top-down approach to urban agriculture, which I don't think is bad by any means, but there's also the bottom-up approach that is out there as well. So I am familiar with a number of different urban agriculture enterprises in the city that that are kind of smaller. They maybe started as community garden projects even, but have grown to a point where they're a lot bigger. Another thing that urban agriculture can be, if you're a, a city planner or developer or something, is tucking in elements, agricultural elements into what you're already doing. So if you're redesigning the streetscape in, in some cute little neighborhood or something, rather than using non-food producing trees, use apple trees, pear trees, what, whatever kind of trees fit your climate best. But some sort of food producing tree, they take the same level of, of maintenance and care as any other tree, but the community can benefit that. And it's it's no more no more effort than anything else and and there's a whole urban agriculture element already tucked into what what exists
2: great so I want to I want to talk a little bit about the, the what and the how of urban agriculture but I want to start out with the why so why would we focus energy on doing this what are the benefits what is the the outcome that we're trying to achieve
0: yeah, so with urban agriculture, there's definitely this element of, of food production, and I think that you and your listeners can easily find information out on the internet concerning food production in, in our areas, the pace at which our current food system is keeping up with our population growth. There's a whole other issue of like food waste. So food is, is a big part of it, and Americans especially have become increasingly disconnected from their food supply and food source and thus don't understand how impactful food is on their lives. Even though we eat it every day, obviously it has a huge impact upon what we do and and how healthy we are. So I think urban agriculture can firstly bring that to the forefront, bring it literally right in front of somebody's face. But the, the other thing that I really love about urban agriculture is that it has this incredible power to bring people together, which I think is true of anything having to do with plants, whether we're talking about a food producing plant or your Aunt Margaret's prize-winning rosebush or, or whatever the case is. I think humans are inherently drawn to plants. There's this idea of biophilia out there that like We want to be around plants. We want to interact with plants. And I think that urban agriculture is one of, of many different modes that that can be incorporated into our daily lives and incorporated in such a way that it has multifaceted benefits. So there's the food part. There's the relationship building part. Maybe you have fruit trees along your, your street and your neighborhood, and it brings you outside, and you're interacting with your neighbors more because they're also outside wanting to get some fresh apples or something, and maybe you guys decide that you wanna have an apple pie baking party together, and it has this incredible capacity to like, build relationships between people on that kind of smaller scale, but it can also build relationships between people on a much larger scale, let's say maybe a citywide scale. St. Louis has a food policy coalition called the St. Louis Food Policy Coalition, and that's exactly what it's doing on on a bigger scale, where we're using urban agriculture and regional agriculture as well to, again, build relationships between people, bring communities together in a way that can have big impacts.
2: Right. So you've talked about kind of the... The social capital that gets created, which is an economic benefit, right? Yeah. Better relationships within the community. And you talked about the, you know, the placemaking component of urban agriculture and that it makes the place more attractive, more beautiful, which that would have some economic benefit. Yeah. But I'm wondering about any evidence of direct economic benefit. So are is there the ability to create an urban agricultural system that actually significantly, you know, creates jobs that mm-hmm. people can make a living at and actually, you know, looks a little bit more like traditional economic development, if Mm -hmm. you will, right? Job creation and economic activity, uh, financial economic activity.
0: Yeah, I do definitely think that's possible. Right now, I'll just be very frank, right now St. Louis at least is not at that point. I'm confident that there are other cities that are. I think Detroit might be a good example of that. In St. Louis, I know that we have a number of different urban agriculture enterprises. Most of them are nonprofit. From a lot of the work I've done with the St. Louis Food Policy Coalition, actually, I've learned that In order for that to be the case, in order to create some economic viability within the realm of urban agriculture, it needs to be significantly more than just the agricultural component. So we need to have easily accessible commercial kitchens throughout the city, which we do have a few. I'm not going to say we don't, because we do, and they do really impactful things, but but we need more of them. And we need to really create this this patchwork of all of the different elements of the food system, because if you just have somebody growing vegetables, for example, in a, let's say, a traditional setting um, that's more like in-ground sort of planting, they can do that for sure. That, uh, just speaking from my personal experience, is a full-time job. Doesn't leave a lot of room for the time to sell it, which also takes a lot of expertise. Um, doesn't leave a lot of room if you're wanting to do any sort of value-added product stuff. If you're wanting to work with restaurants, I can tell you that's a whole nother beast. It, it is really important, but Goodness, it's challenging <laughs> to work with chefs sometimes um, when, when you have your own agenda and they have a totally different agenda, figuring out what those overlaps are. So in St. Louis, at least, we, we need more of those different elements other than just the food production element. The other thing that I think there's a lot of opportunity in the realm of urban agriculture is the more innovative like technology kind of stuff. In-ground planting, I think, is really impactful on a community development scale, but it's limited in the amount of produce that it can grow. So we need more development in the realm of like aquaponics and hydroponics and vertical growing for the economies of scale there. Personally, I really love in-ground growing. I like the community development element of it. That's where my focus is. But if we're talking about creating economic viability, again, we need different levels to it. And that includes those other types of agriculture that are not necessarily seen as, or you don't think of when you think of farming, you don't think of some like vertical tower full of vegetables (laughs) when you think of farming, but that is one way of doing it and potentially more economically viable way because of economies of scale and potential inputs of chemicals or products. And then also your own personal labor, your human labor. Um, Some of those can be a lot less intensive as far as human labor is concerned.
2: Right. So to maybe like just break this down a little bit for our listeners, farmers, wherever they are, just don't really make very much money.
0: That's correct. Profit right. margins are very low. <laughs> right.
2: And so that's why you have these big farming operations. So you bring that down to a smaller scale, and you put people in an urban environment, in which where things, housing, et etc., cost more money. Mm-hmm. Very difficult for people to make much of a living just growing.
0: Yeah, vegetables.
2: But it's the food system that you create, the ecosystem of. Local and organic and restaurants and the local food movement and, and local food scene, if you can put that whole system together now, and we've seen that we've seen examples of that mm-hmm. we We've talked to some people in portland as as our guests, the um, side yard farm, I think it was so that's one way that urban settings can make this more economically viable and create i think there's a place making part of that too mm-hmm. that really is very powerful from an economic development standpoint. Then the other, the second piece you're talking about is, and there are places that are doing this. We know examples like in Cleveland, where the Cleveland Clinic is supporting a, a local economic development around hydroponic gardening, where they're growing like 40,000 heads of lettuce inside using hydroponics, and they're doing it in an urban environment, and they're employing people locally, but it's um, it's not the traditional farming. So that's yeah. what you're talking about in terms of.
0: Yeah, I okay. think. I think a really another really important element of that is the consumer side of things. And certainly there's been change in consumer interests and habits over the last maybe 10 or 15 years concerning local food. However, as a whole, Americans still value food quite low on their priorities of value. If we're comparing American incomes and and food priorities to similar developed countries um, like France and Norway, Sweden, all of that, if we're comparing the amount that Americans spend, percentage of their income spent on food, Americans spend anywhere from, like, six or seven percent of their income on food in similarly developed countries. Um, France is a great example. They spend anywhere from like 14 to 20 percent of their income on food. And that's not because food is inherently more expensive there. It's because of the value that that culture and that community puts on food and how important it is for them, again, to have, have quality food. And they, they invest in that quite literally.
2: There's a great book, Regardless of what your politics is, Elizabeth Warren used to be an economist before she was a senator, and mm-hmm. she wrote a book called "The Two Income Trap," and she actually studied how Americans spend their money. Right, so the reality is that for a lot of Americans, it's not that they're they're spending that six or seven percent and blowing the money somewhere else. We have built an economy in which cheap food is part of the econ- economic structure, and folks, but other things are more expensive: housing, healthcare, et cetera. Right, so. For some people, that's just not an option yes. to, to be spending more money on yeah. food. It's not a choice. But you're right. So that's, you know, that's the other part of the problem. We also are, as a country, maybe more so than any other country, we have a very robust industrial food system mm-hmm. that provides food at a very low cost, right? So that's that's another challenge. So you have to put together this food system that's more about values, placemaking, and the value added that you were talking about, not, not just growing the vegetables, but then like, you know, canning them mm-hmm. or, or putting them in a restaurant where you can charge more for that additional value that you're adding. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing to encourage the greening of, you know, making St. Louis more of an urban agricultural place. What are the kinds of things that a community wants to do if they want this to be more a part of who they are?
0: Yeah. So one thing that Gateway Greening does, in addition to our urban agriculture efforts, we also have a really significant program around community gardens, which we talked about kind of the difference between the two. And I think at its core, the two, there's there's a lot of gray area between the two definitions. So Gateway Greening, with, through our community gardening program, we create a support structure for any organization, any group of people that wants to have a community garden throughout our city. We help to support over 230 community and youth gardens throughout the city already, but if somebody identifies an area that they want to put a new garden in, they go through our, our application process, which really isn't so much an application process, it's a sustainability plan, it's a business plan, so to speak, for their garden, so they have to figure out how many other community members and who are going to be involved in it. They have to figure out land rights access and water access, which Gateway Greening supports them on all of those things. If they have questions about how to work with our local land bank organization, like we we have relationships with them, we'll work with them. We'll help them figure that out. So we, we walk them through that whole process. Once they've finished that process of of developing a sustainable plan for their garden, we then award them all of the materials that they need. So raised beds, most of our soil in the city is pretty junky. (laughs) Um, So we use raised beds. We provide them with really affordable plant material and seeds, a shed if they needed the tools that they need, helping them figure out the water for their site, things like that. But for gateway greening, thats and we provide them with a lot of education as well. But gateway greening is not involved in the management of that land, which is really important for us. We want to support people. We want to support communities. But we want those communities to be in charge of of what they're operating and what they have. So I think that's a really impactful way that – Communities can do that, and you don't need a gateway greening in your neighborhood and your city in order to do that. Certainly it helps to have that support. But if you're within like a very small town or something, work with your local civic government. They can certainly help with finding the right land for you. And in many places are probably excited about the idea of taking vacant lots and putting them to use for something rather than just sitting and, and collecting debris and things like that. So I think that's a really impactful way that people can do it. Once we're talking about bigger things beyond just like like community projects. I think that's where a lot of social entrepreneurship comes in, which admittedly is not my forte. I, I'm not <laughs> super informed on on how to do all that. But I think that there's a lot of room within even within like venture capitalism that can be out there, especially if we're talking about the more innovative forms of urban agriculture. So, exactly. Those kind of things. Um and, and vertical growing and things like that. So when we get into that realm, I personally have a couple of friends that have plant based startups and aquaponic type, type startup organizations that they're working on and there's the same risks as with any startup like it, it might work it might not but you got to take that chance and you got to grow and I think that there's that's one realm of of our food system and also our, our entrepreneurship system that is underutilized right now um, and there's a lot of, of potential for for growth um, for, for that to become a much bigger part of what we're doing.
2: So does Gateway Greening have a a vision or a, a big picture plan of this is what we'd like to see in 10 years?
0: That's something we're working on right now, actually, <laughs> is reevaluating our goals and creating a strategic plan for ourselves. One of the major things, though, I can tell you, even though we're not totally finished with our strategic planning process, is that Gateway Greening is wanting to relocate for a lot of reasons. We're staying within St. Louis. It's really critical for us, actually, to be as close as possible to, to our downtown area. But for anybody who's not from St. Louis, St. Louis has a very clear divide of how the the city split up. There's a street called Delmar, and that's our north-south divide. North City is where most of our lower income population lives, most of our black population, and South City is a lot more diverse. It used to just be all of our more affluent white populations. That's not true anymore. Um, it's, there's a lot of different people that live in South City, but regardless of how you split it up racially, South City is where the money is <laughs> and where the capital is. So one of Gateway Greening's major things that we're working on is relocating because we have, right now we have four different locations that we operate out of as, as an organization, which is incredibly challenging. <laughs> if I'm working at one site and um, I forgot, X, Y, Z documents or whatever I need on another site, I got to run back or if I have a meeting with somebody and they thought we were meeting at our urban farm and really we're meeting at our office or whatever, there's just so many logistical things um, that are problematic about that. Um, so looking to relocate, in relocating, we're trying, we will be consolidating all of those four sites into one, so we need a pretty big chunk of land and just take a guess at to where big chunks of land are, it's going to be in North City, most likely. There's no guarantee of that. We're still figuring out where we're going to be located, but it's definitely within our our staff's major interest um, to be as accessible to the communities that need us. And for a lot of places, that's the lower income disadvantaged neighborhoods. So not only are we relocating for ourselves, but we're also relocating to so that as an organization, we can have a role in that placemaking of whatever neighborhood that we move into, and we're really excited about the opportunities that present with that sort of relocation, and with that too, we haven't figured out all of what this looks like, but we're hoping to have just a bigger impact upon the city, and also maybe even have like a destination where, where people can visit and like really see what we're doing and what we're about, which right now we do, but... Four different sites, not connected. Like, you can't see everything that Gateway Greening is doing and the impacts of what we're doing. So we want to create a destination in that as well.
2: Fantastic. Yeah. So if folks are listening who want to support your work, how do they do that?
0: Go to gatewaygreening.org. There are lots of different ways that you can donate. If you're just interested in donating money, that information is on our website. If you're interested in volunteering, we are a nonprofit. We last year we had over 25,000 volunteer hours go into our organization. That is how we get things done. So if you want to work with us in one way, whether it's on our urban farm or in a community garden, or if you're not a gardener, you don't like working outside, but are excited about what we're doing, we have a lot of opportunities to work with site selection, for example, or helping to run events or do tabling things. So there's lots of ways you can get involved either by contributing money, participating in one of our events. We have hundreds of educational events throughout the year so you can attend one of those as well or volunteer with us.
2: And if if I'm not in the St. Louis area, Are there resources on your website that I would find valuable?
0: Yeah, yes. We do have a whole chunk of our website for resources about urban agriculture, about stuff that's happening in other cities, about really basic stuff, like how to build a raised bed or something like that. So definitely our website has a lot of information. And we pretty regularly host lots of different groups from out of town, sometimes even out of the country. So if you're ever in St. Louis and want to see what we do, give us a call. We're happy to give you a tour and show you and even maybe even talk to you about how you could start this in your own community.
2: Fantastic. Rachel, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today and thank you so much for the work that you do. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. We look forward to seeing you next time on Infinite Earth Radio.